you can believe that you're going to be a D1 player all you want. But if you ain't working for it, faith without works is dead. You know, so you got to keep moving and progressing over a period of time until you reach that level of success. And they say, you know what, what's the formula for success? And then people have this whole long spill. But the formula for success is actually a formula. It's W equals F times S. It's work. That's the formula for work. So keep putting, applying force to whatever it is that you're doing over a period of time, that equals work and that equals success. So you just have to show up every day and you gotta work. Welcome back or welcome to the Up Close and Personnel podcast show. This is your host, Alex Brown, and we are heading into episode five of the podcast. I'm personally learning so much week in and week out from the guests that we've been bringing on the show, and I really hope that you all are as well. As we inch closer and closer to the summer, hopefully things begin to trend in the right direction as far as our country, as far as our, our world is concerned with this pandemic, but for the show... We're going to keep bringing you this content week in and week out. So please subscribe to the show from Apple, Spotify, or whatever platform you're listening from. Rate the show. Give me some feedback. Let me know what you guys want to hear more about, what you want to learn more about. And each week is a new guest, and that means a new topic. So any and all suggestions are welcome. I'm having so much fun picking out new guys for each week. And, you know, I think this time period, more so than any time period in the modern era of football, We've got an opportunity to learn from each other and really network, really dive into relationships and make each other better. So this week, we had none other than Aaron Hodges, the director of player personnel for the Purdue Boilermakers. Now, Aaron has an incredible story, and we dive deep into his background from serving in the Navy to working as a student assistant coach, climbing the ranks in the strength conditioning world, to coaching on the field, to eventually getting into the personnel world, something that he did not see himself doing, but has carved out a strong resume. Working at Ohio State as a recruiting analyst in 2016, 2017, and 2018, they led the Big Ten in recruiting and finished top five in the country each of those years. 2016, he was elevated to assistant director of player personnel working directly with head coach Urban Meyer. And in 2018, he had the opportunity to run a department and take over Purdue's recruiting operation. At Purdue, he has finished inside the top 35, including a top 25 class in his first year in 2019, and has signed nine four-star players in the past two years, more than the previous 10 years combined so he is clearly doing something right. I wanted to bring him on the show to talk all things recruiting, evaluating, and his process, uh, the things that he's taken from all of the greats that he's had a chance to learn from and, and be around, and just hear from somebody who's a great individual that cares about recruits, cares about student-athletes, and is passionate about what he does. So without any delay, here is Aaron Hodges, Director of Player Personnel for the Purdue Boilermakers. Just hit a button, Morty. Give me a beat. Oh, man. Okay. All right. Um. Aaron, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Alex. I know the uh, NFL draft was a lot different this year, but probably a pretty exciting time to see all those dudes you recruited 
while you were over at Ohio State get get drafted real high. How are you doing? I'm doing good, man. And it's it's always a pleasure, man. Not just, you know, the Ohio State days, but also the Purdue days and seeing the growth from when you first meet these kids from day one or whatever, their junior year, all the way up until when they actually get that opportunity to hear their name called and have the interviews. You know, I just, I just think it's cool and uh, dreams come true. And that's something that that's really what it's all about for me. That's what it's about. Absolutely. That impact on kids and, and seeing them go from, you know, young student athlete to a grown man, Absolutely. because you're really, you're really that gateway to, you know, their first steps as a man. So I really want to just jump right into it because I, I can't wait to talk about kind of your background as far as, you know, being in strength conditioning, being in coaching, being in recruiting, even your background as far as being in the Navy. But first question right off the bat, what makes someone a good recruiter in your eyes? The, the one thing that I like um, that I feel that makes someone a great recruiter is their ability to be authentic, one, and then their ability to connect. Um, to me, those are the two most valuable pieces to being a great recruiter. Um, and the lingo that you said, you said recruiter, you didn't say an evaluator, right? You said recruiter. To me, a recruiter is very different from an evaluator. An evaluator, you know, kind of evaluates talents, toughness, tackling speed, feet, hips, you know, playmaking ability, change of directions, all that good stuff, right? Your ability to do that. If you can do all that stuff really well, you're a great evaluator. Now it's the other piece being a great recruiter. There are a lot of great evaluators out there and then they're terrible recruiters. And then you have some guys who are great evaluators and great recruiters. So to be a great recruiter, being able to connect and be authentic, being able to be your true self, not afraid to be your true self and showing it to other people. Uh, I think a lot of coaches and personnel uh, individuals, we, we, we don't, know how to be normal when we're presenting ourselves day one to um to someone right and i think that being able to be normal be vulnerable and whatever that looks like for you you know i think it's a, it, being approachable uh being respectful those are all important and, and i think being a, a great recruiter is uh being to being able to genuinely care you know about a kid as a person you know, and not what they could do for you on the field. And, you know, they're going to get you this recruiting class and, you know, all that stuff. Just genuinely being invested in a kid and helping them grow. I think those are things that come across as very authentic and the ability to, to connect and also, you know, the, the end result making you a great recruiter. I think that's a great point, too, as far as, you know, there's a there's a very big difference between what makes someone a good recruiter and a good evaluator. And there's Absolutely. a lot of people that can do both and, and that's what you're looking for. But sometimes you've got to support your coaching staff or your recruiting staff with one or the other, if somebody's better mm -hmm. at recruiting than evaluating and vice versa. I think it's really cool what you said about the being normal and vulnerable. That's how you connect with people, like the, the emotional yes. side of, of this, because at the end of the day, what do kids say? nine times out of 10, you know, why they made a decision. It's, well, it felt like home. That's, that's a yes. feeling. That's an emotion. Yes. So you've been a around a bunch of good ones. You, you've been around Urban Meyer, Tom Herman, Coach Vrabel, who's an NFL head coach. Uh, obviously, Rage. obviously Jeff Brom, your head coach. Been around a lot of good ones. Who's the best ever you've been around or seen and why? Okay, so 
I have to actually, I can't, I can't just pick one. That's so fair. I'm going, I'm, I'm going to pick a couple because um, I kind of have built myself off of learning from these individuals. So I'd say um, Lamar Connor, um, he's the running back coach at University of Miami, Ohio. Tony Alford, Larry Johnson, Coach Shepard, Coach Marcus Shepard, our co-OC wide receivers coach here at Purdue, Mark Pantone. I think those guys are, in my eyes, kind of like the the people that kind of like shaped me. You know, when I was a young intern at uh, Illinois State, Coach Connor was the first person, and he, he told me, and I was a little student assistant trying to work my way up into coaching, and he told me, he said, "Hey man, don't try to be like me." Don't try to be like Coach Spack. Don't try to be like anybody else because kids understand authenticity. They understand if you're being fake or you're trying to be like somebody else. So guess what you need to do? You need to just be yourself. And from day one of that experience as an Illinois State Redbird, that's when I kind of like formed like, you know what? Okay, I'm going to do it my way. I'm just going to be me and my personality and, and how I how I talk, how I do things, and kind of just play off my own experiences. Uh, Coach Alfred is one of the most in-depth individuals that I've ever met as far as, you know, digging deep into a kid's life, home life, academics. You know, he didn't go to the academic advisors. He did the academic breakdown him, himself. He literally, like, wrote down everything. And I'm like, this guy's making half a mil or whatever, and he's – He's doing it himself. He's not relying on like people around him or whatever. He was a very do-it-yourself individual. Um, Coach Johnson, the one thing I uh, love about uh, LJ is he's so comfortable in his own skin. You know, he doesn't use profanity. He doesn't, you know, um, speak, you know, in a loud, you know, um, crazy voice. He doesn't, you know what I mean? He's a very passionate, caring, you know, father figure, grandfather figure type person. I guess he, he motivates you. You know what I mean? He's a master motivator. Coach Shepard, his energy is infectious. The way that he loves people, the way that he, you know, pushes individuals, he's, he's very infectious. And he, he digs deep, similar to uh, Coach Alford. He's just one of those people that you, you love to be around. You never see him without a smile unless, you know, he's getting after you for doing something wrong. But his energy is absolutely ridiculous. Uh, Mark Pantone, you know, like obviously one of my good friends uh, now, <laughs> back then he, he was like one of my, one of the best bosses I, I got asked for, very organized, very structured, and he, he understood how to communicate, you know, to kids, how to get them to campus, how to have them excited, how to, how to just like push them, you know, to, to, to be better and as far as like overseeing a staff. And those are things that, you know, that I, those are attributes that I really admire and that I try to practice myself on like becoming better every day. Um, and we're all totally different. You know what I mean? We're all different people, right? But the one thing that we all have in common that is exactly the same, we're all genuine individuals. Like, and that goes back to being able to be authentic, you know? So um, those are the guys that, that I look at and, into me. I mean, the obvious question you'd say is, you know, Jeff Brown, Urban Meyer, you know what I mean? Those are like the obvious, you know, answers that, that someone would say to uh, the best recruiters that you've been around. But if we dive in deeper, like those are the people who, you know, I really kind of learned from. Well, it's also like 
you know, the first one you mentioned is Lamar Connor, the first guy that you really learned from at Illinois State Nines in Miami, Ohio. And, you know, it's not about the logo. Like if no. you can build those relationships and you can you prove to to the, the kid that you are the best place for him to develop for life. Like I think those are absolutely the best recruiters. So absolutely. Um, and it's so, tougher. It's tougher when you're at um if you're at a blue blood, right, it is incredibly, it's easier, it's incredibly easy to recruit great talent. You know what I mean? Yeah. Now, if you are at a place where the logo may not be, you know, that well known, or it may not be the brand that you, you know, want to associate with, being able to recruit at those places and put together great classes and match championship teams and things of that nature, that makes you actually more valuable than a lot of power five coaches because you're doing it at a group of five and you're winning and you're competing. To me, that's something that's uh, that's special. And, and that's kind of like one of the reasons why I decided to take on the challenge of Purdue, you know, is because the logo wasn't a block O, you know, it was something that I wanted to see how good I really am, you know, kind of do. No, and that's, the, the things that y'all have done just in, in the recent amount of years you've been there um, has been really impressive. We'll get into that when we talk about your story too. Uh, next question, who's the biggest influence on you as a recruiter? And, and kind of answered it a little bit as far as, you know, being genuine, authentic. Would you say Mark Pantone is probably the biggest influence on how you run a department? Yeah, I'd say yes and no, because Mark's, Mark's department that he has right now it's the way that he wants it. We don't have a, a eight, nine member staff. And you know that. Like, so the, the way that you run an eight, nine member staff is a little bit different than you would run a, a three member staff. You know, so um, the ideals, yeah, absolutely. The functionality, like, it's just different dynamics. So I kind of had to learn on the fly a little bit and kind of adjust it to what we need in order to get the, the best out of what we have. So you, so as far as an influence though, you'd probably go back to those five guys you listed though, as far as. Yeah. Yep. Um, and, and really not just those five guys. I think, I think everybody. So like say for instance at Purdue, I have a group chat called the peeps, right? And in the peeps, it's our head strength coach, assistant strength coach, our nutritionist, our, our assistant to our nutritionist, it's equipment, it's athletic training. It's, you know what I mean? It's my staff. Those are the people that influence, you know, me the most throughout my, my career and not just at Purdue, but at Ohio State, Falco, all those places, because those are people that you learn from. And those are the people that actually help your talking points, you know, because how many times is a kid going to talk to the strength and conditioning coach when he's on campus, right? Yeah. Like outside of that, when is he going to learn about strength and conditioning through the personnel department, through your recruiter? You know, so for me, those people really influence everything. I don't, I'm not a registered dietitian, but Lauren Ling, like she helps me recruit better because if I'm around her long enough and I listen to those conversations, I'm able to articulate certain things to the kid, the way that I talk and that he can relate to. And then when he come to campus, it's like, oh, okay, cool. I may not know how many dining dollars a kid get, but I know exactly, you know, um, the bod pod or, you know, the underwater weigh-in or whatever it is that we're going to use to track his BMI, you know? So I think everyone is critical in, from equipment to 
um, training. Everybody is a, a key, I guess you could say, piece to the puzzle. So everybody influences, you know, how I do it, I guess. Well, that's the, those are the people that spend the most time with the kid when they're on campus too. And absolutely. And it's like, if you really want to be good in personnel, like Aaron was saying, like you've got to know every component of the program because at some point when you're walking a kid around campus, you may want to have a conversation about Madden or, you know, the NFL draft, but that kid's dad or that kid's mom or the kid is going to say, Hey, so when do you guys lift or, Hey, how do you balance, you know, such a high education like Purdue or Rice while playing big time football? Like, how do you do that? You know, what does that look like? You know, what, how do they take care of our players? I think that's such a huge point for everybody listening to this and especially for kids too, because I -hmm. think, too often you waste opportunities when you're on campus by not asking the right questions. Um, Absolutely. So what is your process for learning and growing and, and advancing as someone in this business and, and taking your game to the next level? Because, you know, your first year at, at Purdue, you guys signed four, four star guys. And then this past year you signed five. And if you go back the 10 classes before you got there, they had only signed five guys total with all those classes combined. So I, Obviously, you're doing something different, and you guys have done a really good job of branding the program, but for you personally, what are some things that, that you put into your day-to-day to help yourself get better? Um, I think it's kind of four things for me. Uh, listening, uh, learning, uh, adapting, and then making it my, my own, you know what I mean? Like owning it. So you, you got it. You can't. I don't know everything. You don't know everything, Alex. Like Mark doesn't know everything. You know, Urban don't know anything. Jeff doesn't know everything. You know what I mean? Like we all don't know everything. But what we can do, we all have the ability to listen and learn, right? And then take whatever that we we learn and adapt it to our lifestyles and truly make it a part of us. And then now we're able to deliver it to whoever we need to deliver it to, right? So being able to see things and adjust, like say, for instance, um, let's just say a barber chair, for instance, right? You have a school that all of a sudden you, you, you were at, say, for instance, Coach Brown was at Western Kentucky. He was at Western Kentucky. They had, you know, this nice facility. They used to take recruits to um, the Corvette Museum and all kind of stuff, right? And then they say, hey, you know what? Um, I want to start doing something real cool. I want to have a barber shop inside, you know, our facility. I'm a decade out and off Corvette stuff. You know what I mean? And we're going to make it. We're a fast paced offense. And this is all like stuff that I'm just, I'm making up on my head, like as we go. Right. And so all of a sudden you say, all right, cool. I got the job at Purdue. I'm going to come. You come to Purdue, new facility, just got built, whatever, but it's missing that, you know, that go fast type deal. You know what, let me go ahead and let me add some black and gold Corvettes to this room. Let me put a barber chair in it. Let me, you know what I mean? It's something that you learn from a place that you're previously at and you took it to a new level at your new place, making it your own. Yeah, Purdue doesn't have a Corvette facility, but we actually do have a Rolls Royce engine facility. You know what I mean? And we have different little things that make it unique for us. Um, making it our own, you know, so just taking things that you had at your previous stop and kind of adapting to uh, whatever the needs of the people are right now. So I guess that's a roundabout way. It's like taking old stuff that you've done before and making it, you know, new stuff where you're at right now. Well, like reinventing, but I think 
the the cool thing about what you said is like you you can pay attention to what's going on around you but yes. you, at the end of the day you got to make sure it fits with your program and your culture exactly. and what your head coach is is really envisioning for the program because you know kind of like how you were talking about with you know developing relationships with recruits like if it's not authentic if it doesn't fit then it just yeah. feels manufactured i'm i'm totally with you on that absolutely so what are you uh reading listening to watching right now oh man you already know i'm, I'm watching the last dance baby no doubt you know, so um episodes three and four that just aired on sunday those were crucial i love dennis rob i'm a chicago kid anyway so like that was during my era growing up so it's just like kind of cool the one thing that dennis Rodman said uh in episode three i think it was he said you know basketball i do this for free you know what i mean they pay me for the bull <laughs> yeah <know>? and so <laughs> I, you know I, i'm like you know what man you that's right man recruiting i do this for free you know i get paid for the bull <laughs> <laughs> i get paid for all the and other so, stuff exactly and everybody yeah. in personnel y'all know what the other stuff is yes man. Like, yes you know what's understood don't need to be explained but like <laughs> that's that's what that's where the dollars come in but like recruiting we're all in this thing because we're passionate about it we love what we do um but then we also know that with everything that you love, it's going to be some baggage that come along with it. So how fun is that? Been, um, uh, since, since you, uh, I, I'm just going to sidetrack for a second, since you've gotten to Purdue, now you're, you know, two years in, you finally probably, I mean, you know, everybody on the team and you've seen guys grow. Like how cool is that process? Because like, I'm finally, so I just spent my last year at, at Rice, just got on board mm -hmm. and it's been awesome getting to know these guys, but like, I had spent four years, I saw an entire group of guys go through it at Houston. And that's just such a rewarding process. You're about halfway through now with the first class you had. Like how, yeah. how cool is that process? It's so, it's so fun for me, especially since we had, you know, a lot of our, our freshmen play, you know, year one. So it was true freshmen. It's been just so fun and it went fast. You know, George Karloftis, David Bell, all these guys, like a year ago, I was recruiting them out of their high schools, you know, and it's just, it's fun, it's rewarding. Just seeing, you know, Bryson Hopkins and Marcus Bailey just get drafted, like that's rewarding as well. You know, yeah, I didn't recruit them to come, but like once you're here, everybody's your kids once you once you take a job, Yes. you know? So it's, it's just incredibly, it, it's, it's a pleasure, it's an honor. And I joke around with Marcus Bailey more than, I don't know, than guys that I actually currently recruited, you know? They're just fun. Like, I, don't, I can't even explain. I love those guys. I love the, the freshmen that we're after right now. It's just, I don't know. Like, my heart is just like, yeah, I, I just love kids, man. Just good people. If you're a good person, we're going to get along fabulous. If you're a good person, we're good. So you grew up in, in Chicago, and you're just mm -hmm. talking about that a little bit. When did you know you wanted to get into recruiting? And, and just kind of walk me through, you know, what led you to serving four years in our Navy and and going down that that road and then as soon as you got back you know starting at illinois state and working as a as a student assistant and starting that grind all the way to where you are now shoot i i, I knew that i wanted to i knew i wanted to be in in football ever since i was a freshman in high school like it wasn't even um a second thought like the minute that i put on you know the helmets and shoulder pads and stuff like that. It was over. I started football late. So I started football when I was a freshman in high school. I wasn't particularly very good, you know, but I tried, you know, I tried hard. And 
that's kind of where my whole kind of life started, you know, developing. And I, my, my dad's a preacher. And so he used to go to church. I used to feel like I was sick, you know, just so I could watch, you know, um, the NFL on Sunday, you know, so I used to like be the, the guy in bed, take the thermometer, put it towards a light or whatever, let it heat up and then <coughs> I'm sick, you know? Um, so, so that's when like the passion and the love of the game kind of started, man, back, back in, uh, back in Joliet, Illinois. Um, and then I started getting letters. Uh, I want to say like my junior year, you know, and, I got a letter from a Big Ten team, and all of a sudden, I thought that I was going to, you know, play in the Big Ten, you know, and I, I wasn't particularly good enough to be a Big Ten player, but I ran track in high school, too, and I was decent enough to get some, you know, some double-A interest, uh, but unfortunately, my grades, man, they were absolutely horrendous. Like, I still got my report cards from high school in a box so I could show my daughter, like, that your father didn't apply himself when I was her age and how further along I could be in life, right, if I did. So my mom and I, God rest her soul, we didn't get along very well. Uh, me and my dad, we were like some of the best of friends. And she told me, hey, you know what? When you're 18, you're out of the house. You're gone, you know? And a college coach, um, man, I think it was, I, for, I forgot who it was, um, what school. I think it was either Eastern Illinois or... It could have been uh, Lewis University. And they will say, hey, you know what? If you go to a JUCO for two years, you know, I was a non-qualifier coming out. Let's get it out of the way. I was a non-qualifier coming out. So if you go to JUCO for two years, get your degree, the scholarship still be waiting for you. And uh, I told my mom, hey, this coach said this. And, you know, she said, nope, I told you. When you turn 18, you're gone. She said that. And almost immediately, I went across to Larkin Avenue went to the armed forces recruiting station, signed a piece of paper and me and my buddy, we partied the entire summer. And then when everybody went to college in August, we went to Great Lakes, Illinois from boot camp. It was just that simple. It was right when 9-11 happened. Um, everybody was like kind of going a little nuts. The world was a little nuts uh, back then. Um, and we were just like, forget it, let's go. And so I uh, went to the Navy and I was pretty average, as, as you could probably tell, um, leading up to that point in my life. Uh, didn't have a great work ethic, didn't really apply myself to things that I was even good at. You know, I just kind of like did it and it wasn't really in a thought process associated. Uh, then I get to the Navy and then uh, a guy by the name of Kenneth Blake, he was uh, my work center supervisor at the time. Uh, he had a couple more bars on his shoulder, chevrons on his shoulder than I did. And um, he used to grind me into the dirt, like grind me. Like, you know what, I just like, nah, you could be this good, but you know what, you're living like this. You're living this low. And so I used to have some, they say curse like a sailor, right? So they have some choice, I'd have some choice words for him and tell him how I felt about him, whatever. And he wouldn't even get upset at me. He wouldn't curse me out or nothing. He would just say, Okay, well, if you don't want to do it now, I'll just write you up and you'll have to stay at work for extra military instruction and you'll just do it then. So you can either do it now or you can do it later. Either way, I don't care. Like you, you figure it out. And so I started just straightening up and flying right. And, and by that time, I was an E3 at the time, but I had E4s. I had people higher ranking than me working for me. And it wasn't because I was that guy or whatever. It's just because Petty Officer Lake, Kenneth Lake, 
drilled into me, no, you got to be better than everybody around you, you know? And so by that time I was controlled, talker, qualified, I was at E3, E4 um, in rooms where there were E7s and E8s and O2s. And I was probably the lowest ranking guy in that little group, but a whole division kind of counted on me, you know? So those are like some of the lessons that, you know, you learn from the United States Navy is, you know, being able to relate to people, being able to adapt to situations um, and being able to be put in critical situations where you either got a fight or flight pretty much, you know? So, and to be honest, to answer your other question, I never wanted to be in personnel. Never wanted to be in personnel. Never even like crossed my mind. If somebody told me 10 years ago when I started that I was going to be in personnel, I probably would have got out. I probably would have said, hey, you know what? I'm good. I'm Gucci. Uh, talk this up, boys. Let's go be a, a Florida State trooper or something. You know what I mean? But how, how everything happened in my life, you know, um, started off as a student assistant for two years at Illinois State. My degree is in exercise science. And in order to actually receive your degree, you had to go do a, a internship. So my internship, I remember I got my internship and first internship that I applied for, I got. And the internship was at Notre Dame, working with Notre Dame uh, Olympic sports. So it was with Coach Tony Rulinski, Coach Elise Angeles, Coach uh, Craig Cheek, uh, Coach Caitlin Sweeney, Coach Matt Howe. Like these are all people 10 years ago that their names are still cemented in my memory because of the impact that they had. And, you know, it was nothing for you to, you know, go to work that day and then you pop in and Muffin McGraw's in the weight room with you and um, Neil Ivey's in a weight room and Skylar Diggins is joking around about, you know, she, uh, coach, she used to come in the weight room and coach Craig Cheek, like their thing was every day. She'd be like, what's up, Craig? What's up, Smokey? Like she used to do the Friday day, like every day. And it was just like, you know what, man, like, no matter how much of a star you are, mind you, this is my first like kind of taste of like being around a star, right? No matter how much of a star you are, like people just want to be normal. They don't want to be treated like a star. They don't want any, they just want to be normal. And so that whole experience got me to a point where I just came in, I did my job, you know, I worked uh, hard uh, for the Olympic sports. It had nothing to do with football. Right. It was just Olympic sports. And I didn't sneak over to, you know, the, the football side of the Google to try to like learn or whatever. I just was great at doing my job. And when I left there to go to Valpo to be the outside linebackers coach, the director of Olympic sports and conditioning coach, um, cause Tony Rolinski, I call him T-Row. Everybody calls him T-Row. He called me, he said, you know what, that's stupid. You're going to Valpo, like you're way better than that. Da, 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 da. And so he was just like, kind of like on the phone, giving me hell because I'm trying to get paid coach. Like this is $10,000 a year. I'm not getting anything being an intern. I'm trying to get this bread. Yeah. And so um, he said, you know what? I'm going to call Mickey Marotti right now. Him and coach Mick are longtime friends or whatever. So he called coach Mick, said that, hey, I got a kid who, you know, was a good strength intern for me. Like, he wants to be in football. I think you all should give him a shot or whatever. Um, they called me. They offered me an internship starting in January. It was August at the time. So I worked at Valpo for, you know, four or five months or whatever season ends. And then uh, my mom passed away in November. And then I was like, okay, cool. I'm just going to go to Ohio State 
and work for coach Mickey Marathi and grind it out. And so that helped me heal from, uh, I guess you should say emotional trauma of my mom passing away because you up at three forty-five in the morning and you don't go to bed until, you know, you get home after training table and it's 9 PM. You're able to see everything from a strength standpoint, right? So I saw everything from an intern standpoint at Illinois State. I saw how strength and conditioning function as a whole at Notre Dame. I go to Ohio State and I learn the intricate parts of how football strength and conditioning actually happens, training table, nutrition, all that good stuff. And then, you know, somebody, I'm walking across the hall, somebody asked me, say, hey, you know, we see you busting your butt here all the time. Like, are you trying to be an intern your whole life? And I told him, I said, no, the only reason why I'm doing it is so I get a better GA job, right? It's hard for an intern at Illinois State to get a big time GA job when nobody knows you, you didn't do it, you know what I mean? Yep. And so Kent State, that was when Daryl Hazel took the job at Purdue and uh, Kent State went after Paul Haynes. They hired Paul Haynes to be the head coach. Um, coach Haynes interviewed me. Um, offered me the job. I took the job. I had the, uh, the pleasure of earning my degree from uh, my master's degree from Kent State. Um, worked for uh, one of the, the brilliant minds. He's at Eastern uh, Michigan right now, Ben Needham. He was the uh, linebackers coach at the time. Phenomenal individual. And I thought Coach Needham hated me. You know, you know how it is being a GA, being an intern. You can't do nothing right, right? Everything you do is wrong. Take it back. Do it over again. You know what? This isn't right. Take it back. Do it over again. So it was a lot of those conversations. You know what? You don't know how to use Excel correctly. Take it back. Do it over again. This is how you do it. So I felt like I couldn't do anything right working for Coach Needham, bro. Like, it was crazy. I just did the best that I could with that job, right? And I, I got my degree, and my buddy ends up leaving Ohio State, Roger Terry, who's now a, he's a scout. He's been a scout for the Redskins for yep. a while. So Roger leaves. Yeah. Oh my God. Roger is not just a good guy. He's a great person. So Roger leaves, Roger goes and he calls me. He said, Hey man, like everybody's mentioning you taking, you know, this position for me. And so they asked me, would you be interested? And he said, nah, man, he coaching, man. He don't want to do that. He coaching, man. And so I told Roger, I said, Roger, you better call him folks back. You better tell him I am interested. They better call me, <laughs> you know what I mean? And so that was the plan. The, the plan was to say, you know, all right, cool. I used Ohio State to get to Kent State, right? I finished at Kent State. Ohio State want me to come back. I'm going to use Ohio State for a season just to get a MAC-level coaching job after the season. That was the entire plan, right? And so that year... It was a really good recruiting class. We flipped Dwayne Haskins. We got Keandre Jones. We had, you know, all these incredibly talented young men that got, you know, part of our program. And so towards December, January, I get called into Pantone's office. And Pantone can attest this. Like, I absolutely hate being called into anybody's office. Like, I don't, like, don't call me into the office. Like, hey, can I, can I talk to you real quick? I think I'm getting fired. You know what I mean? Like, I'm like, boy, I'm out the door. Coach Meyer is sitting in a chair right as soon as you walk into Pan's office. So I'm like, bro, this is ain't, this ain't about to be good. Like, in my head, I'm thinking about, like, do they got boxes around here? I need to start packing. You feel me? Um, 
And so I walk into the office, the door's closed. I'm sweating bullets, yo. Like, I'm just, I'm panicking a little bit. And so basically the whole conversation was like an attaboy, right? We just flipped Dwayne Haskins, I think, the day before. Coach Meyer is, is bringing me in the office. And he's like, hey, you know what? You know, I see a gift in you. I really want to, you know, groom you. You know, what are your plans? And this was me at the time, man. I'm 35 now. This is about, what, four years ago. So I was like maybe 31. A grown man should never say this to another grown man. Like, I said, Coach, I'm trying to be the next you. I said, I'm trying to be the next Urban Meyer. Like, that sounds so corny, just me looking back at that. Like, how do you say that to another grown man? You want to be them. <laughs> um, and so he, he said, you know what? Well, I see a gift in you. I want to groom you. Um, so how about you handle this aspect of my life, which is recruiting, right? So that's what I did. I handled the recruiting aspect of his life. Um, and to me, it wasn't like really anything like, wow. It was like um, kids want to connect with the head coach, right? Kids want to connect with Lincoln Riley, Urban Meyer, the Jeff Brahms everywhere, you know what I mean? So my whole job was basically text recruits for the head coach. So he'll be in there watching film. I'll walk in, you know, the offense staff room. He'll hand me the phone. I boom, 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 hit up the recruit, build a relationship, whatever. And then that was kind of like my job. I'd evaluate film. i text for Coach Meyer. And that is a full-time job, you know, because yeah. everybody is trying to have a conversation with him and all this other stuff. So um, that was kind of like where, where things kind of started to, I guess you could say, the confidence in myself, right? Started, started to build up because you had someone validate kind of like what you were doing and how you did it. Like, you know, a good job that validated, you know, me not changing my voice to sound like, I don't know, like people around me, you feel me? Um, mm -hmm. It was a validation that you can be yourself, you can be authentic and be appreciated, you know? Um, and I think that was kind of like a, a key piece. So, now, let's fast forward to now, like if Jeff Brom can accept me for who I am and he allows me to walk in a room and I got J's on my feet and black jeans on, then everybody on staff should be able to, you know what I mean? Or vice versa, if I'm at, you know, in this circuit and, you know, Coach Meyer is able to accept me for me and my ability and how I speak slang to kids just because that's my background it's an appreciation because that's just who he is right and nobody expects you to be anything more than who you are and i think that's why i always say you know being able to connect and be authentic um but yeah that's kind of like how my journey was and then um was at osu uh moved up in the rankings um in the recruiting department uh coach fickle took the cincinnati job uh coach meyer and pantone um decided hey we want to keep you around here a little bit longer so how about assistant director of player personnel? It never was one of those at Ohio State before. It's just Mark Antonio, the recruiting assistants. And so they uh, they created that title there and, you know, did that for, I think it was, what, one or two years. Um, and then after that, you know, uh, Coach Shepard called me and he was like, hey, you know, I've been saying you've been doing some cool stuff at Ohio State and all that good stuff. And we want to, you know, talk about bring you here. And then, you know, then that happened and I kind of gave um, 
kind of gave myself two years to have a top 30 recruiting class. And there's no way that I thought that we would be able to have a top 25 year one. I thought that was like impossible, to be honest. I was like, hey, you know what? Top 30, like achievable goals. I set an achievable goal, 30 in, in two years. And so year one, it was top 25 and a credit to, you know, some of the, the great coaches on staff. I mean, because nobody could do this by themselves, right? You can have some of the greatest coaches around, right? But if you don't have great personnel people, it's, it's not going to work out. And it's the same. You can have great personnel people, but if you don't have great coaches that can build those relationships, it's not going to work out. So it was just a great collaborative effort, you know, the past two years of putting together uh, something that we think is, is special and that we're going to benefit uh, the community, the university, uh, the players' families. Uh, I think those are kind of like the key pieces. That's awesome. And I, I, I have to go back to uh, Ohio State, the 17, 18 year, the, your last two years. Mm-hmm. Um, how, was, how was it seeing uh, Weston's article? Because Weston worked with me at Houston. And, you know, obviously he, he got promoted to the role that you left. But yeah. I think the, the really cool part about the whole deal is like this Ohio State tree is so much bigger than just like Mark, you know, like Adrian yeah. Mays learned the process and brought it to Houston. I learned from him and Brian learned from him. And by default, we kind of think that way. And Derek Chang also yes. learns from Mark Pantone. And yeah. now you're at Purdue and Weston's in your role. You know, how, how is that? And how have you been able to, you know, one, keep those relationships, but, um, you know, kind of give back to the game because I think it's, it's so cool to see the tree and like how people that have learned the process are able to like prepare the next person. I mean, Roger Terry is another one too, that you, you mentioned in Mm -hmm. passing. So, uh, Chang. Okay. So Roger and Chang were the first recruiting assistants with Pantone at OSU. Right. So when Roger and Chang were in the recruiting department, I was an intern in the strength conditioning department. So we used to always have like, like noon hoops or whatever, you know, so Chang and Roger and Fernando and you yeah. know, everybody like Fern, everybody. Right. So we all used to like hoop together and, you know, Quinn Temple and Brian Boltzlini and all that, those guys. So it's, it's just, we were just all regular dudes to each other. And still to this day are, you know what I mean? Like if Chang called me today, like say for instance, somebody called you and they want the skinny on a recruit in your area or whatever. Hey, why aren't y'all offering this kid? You know, you, we get that conversation all the time, right? Yeah. Like some people I'll give the fluff to, like Chang or Roger or whoever, like if they called or Pan or whatever, it's like, yo man, like there is no filter, right? Yeah. yeah. Like how I say is what I say. And like, that's just, that's how it is. Like the relationship um, with all of us, it, it's so tight, so close that, I mean, those, everybody's rock stars to me, you know, and not just because we all come from the same tree, but because we all know each other as normal people, you know, like yeah. if, if, if I'm out and Roger's out at the combine, I see him like, no, Roger, hey man, come to room and hang out. And then he'll come <laughs> to room decked out in rescue gear. And then I'll hang out and chill. Anthony Coglin is another one, right? So Anthony Coglin, who's a scout, uh, scout coordinator with the Colts, like when I go out to the combine or whatever, it's rare that I'm going to have a night where I'm not hanging out with those guys. 
you know, it's just they're to me that they're they're more than just you know colleagues. They're they're family to me. So I think the the beautiful part about the Pantone tree is that we all actually like each other as people. You know what I mean? Like yeah. great people, great at your job. That's kind of like the the mode, I guess you could say, for building someone in the Pantone tree. I guess you could say. The, the thing that Coach Bloomgren always says is the, the submarine rule. If you, if you don't feel comfortable, uh, if you can't live on a submarine with, with the crew, then oh my God. you're probably working with the wrong people. Because at the end of the day, when the season starts, I mean, like, you're not leaving the office. It's a submarine for real. Yeah. yeah, it's a submarine for real. Like, and you may come up after three months. You know, that bye week happened and then great, you know. We go over that is, yeah. Yeah. You know, I actually like that. I'm going to have to steal that one. Because, yeah. like, you know, to me, that's important, man. Like, being able to vibe with people and Weston, ask Weston, like, okay, so Brian played a joke on me for uh, April Fools, right? I immediately, yeah, yeah, I immediately sent the same one to like Weston, to everybody, to like, and I'm like trying to get people, like, you know what, Brian got me, I'm about to get these fools. Like, um, people think that there's more uh, animosity in the personnel sector of house football than what there really is. Like, yeah. There's small issues where people take stuff that someone else creates and whatever. But like as a whole, our community is more close knit than people kind of kind of think, you know, that's that's been the, the most awesome part about the uh, obviously there's a lot of lives affected and it is awful around the country and around the world. But the cool part to see is how like the personnel community and the recruiting community has like banded together and like shared information, you know, people jumping Absolutely. on the football scoop, online clinics, people jumping on, you know, radio shows, just talk and shop. Um, that's, that's the really cool part. And like the thing about Weston was nobody watched more film than that guy. Nobody no. spent no. more time breaking down tape. Like if you think that, you know, just watching a couple of five stars and four stars is going to make you a good recruiter. Like, no, this dude like watched film on every player that rolled through our office, you know? Um, like the, the first, the, the first person when I actually accepted the job at Purdue, right. The first person I tried to get was Weston. Like, and it's, it's, that's not like a secret or nothing. I like to tell Wes, I said, Wes, I mean, I just took the job, man. If, if, if I could hire my own staff right you coming you know and you know things worked out for him you know obviously he's assistant director of player personnel now um but like west is is different because it doesn't matter what room you put that kid in and i say kid he know he ain't no kid that's a grown man um no matter what room you put weston in weston will make you love him just because he's himself Yes. He's not trying to change anything about himself. Like he a white dude with soul. You know what I mean? Yep. Everybody loves him. He eats the weight room for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Like he's hardworking. He, he relates, you know, that's just one of the people like, I just love Weston to death. Man. Like, I don't know. I don't think nothing could come between like me and, you know, I got a certain group of guys, right. In, in cannons. Like we have this group chat. It's Weston, uh, Stephen Collier, Sammy Silverman, um, uh, Justin Perez. It's uh, Andre uh, Mac Robinson. It's like a bunch of us, and we're all in different facets. Andre's with the LA Clippers. 
Um, Steven is with the Atlanta Falcons out in um, working front office. Sammy is his own graphic designer. He, he freelances for a bunch of other places. And it's like all just great people that we've worked together um, and we form like this deep bond and deep connection. And it's just incredible, like the amount of information that you can gain and growth that you can have from people that, you know, in a way don't really affect what you're doing right now. But if you learn from them, it can positively affect what you're doing right now. So it's, it's kind of cool just people, you know, being around. Oh, fun little tidbit, and I mentioned them earlier, Ben Needham and Jamarcus Shepard, the guy. So the boss that I thought hated me, right? Yeah. He and Coach Shepard, the guy who called my phone, who I look up to in recruiting now, like, he called my phone, and I'm like, well, how do these people even get my number? How did they know? Coach Shepard and Coach Needham are actually really good friends. And the guy that I thought hated me, but I just kept working all the time. He's the one who got me, you know, in on the job that I got now. Just, you know, sometimes you may think that somebody hates you. You know what I mean? I think a lot of people hate me at the end of the day. But, like, do they appreciate what you do in your work ethic and the value that you bring? You know, and your perception that someone may have of you may not actually be what the person think of you. And, and they may be pushing you because they believe you have more in you and they are yes. trying to get the best out of you. And it echoes just straight back to coaching at the end of the day. Too. Yeah. Yeah. It, 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 it's so crazy because everything's full circle and you never actually know until it, until the moment happens, right? When you're halfway through like, you know, the rotation, you don't actually know the entire process, I guess you could say. Yeah. But once you complete the rotation, it's like, dang, well, hold up. On that trail, this was brought me to this, and this relationship did this, and this one actually got me here. You know, so it's kind of cool. And that's that's kind of like, I think it's stupid. And um, when a kid commits to another school, and then people, like, bash the kid or call him up, and why would you do that? Why would you, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. To, to me, that is the most disrespectful thing as a coach, as a personnel guy that you can do to a kid, right? Because we've all been that kid's age. And I think if you show compassion, you love and respect, and you congratulate and you say, no matter what, I'm here for you. I think that that will change the dynamics of your future, you know, because you don't know who that kid is. When Joe Burrow came to Ohio State, Nobody knew that Joe Burrow was going to be a Heisman Trophy winner in the first round draft pick. You could say, you know, after the first two, three years, nobody knew that. And the person who said that they knew it is a liar. I'm going to just straight up, they lied. <laughs> nobody knew that. Okay. So, like, what happens if, you know, somebody treated Joe Burrow like crap and then Joe Burrow, let's say he's first round draft pick, all this other stuff, right? And now, Joe Burrow's out of football years later, let's say 10 years from now, 20 years from now, whatever, and he's the head coach of Ohio State or Purdue or Cincinnati, whatever, right? If I treated Joe Burrow like crap as a recruiter early on in my career, and this is coveted job and I want to work for Joe Burrow, guess what? Joe Burrow remembered when I treated him like, like crap. And guess what? That just cut me off. If you guys treated him like crap on his way out, Imagine him on national television, you know, after getting oh drafted. God. Oh, yeah, I hated my time at Ohio State. They didn't exactly, me, right? but LSU. No, he he had love for both schools. And, I mean, I've talked to you and a couple other people. Like, I know he still goes up there. So, 
still um, does. That's but that's so cool. And to me, it's just it's it's important, you know. Just we've all been eighteen. These kids have not been thirty five, right? We've had our time to live our lives and make our decisions, whether they were right or wrong. We've had our time and respect that it's this kid's time now to make the right decision for him whether it is right or whether it is wrong it's his decision and our jobs should be they aren't but it should be to support a kid in whatever choice that they make and and be a positive influence in their lives that's just my opinion no that's right on point that was a lot obviously covered so much covered so much as far as just your story and 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 really what it takes to to make it in this industry but not just that but hey be open to different avenues like clearly you wanted to get coaching you know you were a kinese major and you realized that hey this is an opportunity and an avenue for me to be successful like i've Mm got to make this pivot um talking about the evaluation process the topic of the week obviously we both probably have it maybe categorized different, but there's four phases to recruiting, the, the identification, the evaluation, the presentation and the connection. So there's, and you can phrase it however you want, but really there's two components. There's evaluating and there's recruiting. We'll probably mm-hmm. have to have you back on to talk uh, recruiting because, you know, just to, as far as how much we could talk about, but yeah. from an evaluation standpoint, just talking through it real quick is, you know, from an identification front, that's all about prospecting the candidates, figuring out who's actually recruitable as whether he's an offerable guy, guy to evaluate further or a walk on. And if you don't fit mm-hmm. in those categories, they're screened off and you keep moving. Um, yeah. But obviously kind of that's more of the peripheral going off a list, going off recommendations, players that we Correct. get from our coaches on the road and you're evaluating the transcript and the highlight. You're not diving into the film just yet because you got to figure out if this guy's even recruitable. And mm-hmm. moving into the evaluation stage, that's when you get really nitty gritty, cutting up yes. the game film, figuring out mm-hmm. the kid's interest in you and, and getting the, those verified measurables, getting the character references from the coaches. That's what happens after you figure out if kids, you know, recruitable, so, yeah. so to speak. And obviously a big part of our role as support staff members is screening those guys and bringing mm-hmm. the list to our coaches that's been filtered. But for you at, at Purdue and, you guys have a reputation academically and you're in the big 10. So there's obviously a high standard to one, be able to play at your level. Now that you're recruiting, you know, four-star caliber players and top 25 level classes, you want to have to continually improve your team. And I think that's something that I'd really want to harp and emphasize for recruits is that us as college coaches are evaluating based off of our team. If you don't make us better at a specific position or don't fit into it, it's not a a knock on you. It's absolutely about making our team better. And that's the business side of the game because this Mm -hmm. is a win and a wins and losses industry. So for you, obviously academics and being a big time player is important. It's the same way at our place. Uh, What does it take? What, What are the steps that need to happen before you watch a kid's tape? for you to, to take the time to watch and evaluate them? It all starts with like, you know, profile, really. You know what I mean? Um, I think one of the, the biggest things, well, well, before Coach Brom got to Purdue, right? Purdue didn't have one of the top 10 facilities in the country, all right? It was a big 10 in name as a, of a program, but in facilities wise, it was Mac level facility wise. 
And so when Coach Brown got here, the new facility opened, all that good stuff, um, we were able to start having success in recruiting because we started building a profile first. What is one of the first questions, you know, that I asked, like, what is a Purdue linebacker looks like? What does a Purdue offense alignment look like? What is, you know, we're starting to build a profile. And so to me, it starts off with height, weight, you know, and then you you go a little bit deeper into, you know, toughness, tackling, speed, hips, explosiveness, ability to blitz. And I'm a huge motor guy, right? Like I would take a motor if you have, you know, good hips, good feet, good speed and everything. I'll take a motor over almost anything. Because if you look at it, like say, for instance, James Harrison went to Kent State, right? James Harrison went to Kent State and this guy wasn't the best athlete, but he had the best motor. So for me, from an evaluation standpoint, like I profile it to start building. Okay. Like if you are a six two guard, you're probably not going to work out for me. You I mean, you're probably not going to be that type of guy. And if you are a, a six foot five eleven linebacker, and there are a lot of great ones out there, right? There are a lot of great 5'11 linebackers or whatever, but you're probably not going to be a great fit for what we're trying to do and how we're trying to, to look when we step on the field. So for me, it all starts off with a profile. Then from the profile, you said before you even watch the tape, right? So before I even watch the tape, it has to be, you know, height appropriate, weight appropriate, and then I'll get into, you know, the tape. And then the grades and the character, you know, and, and that type of deal. So first and foremost, you, you got to be able to pass. Like, there's some good players out there, man. But if, you, if you're if you freaking 5'9 at corner, I'm probably not going to watch you, you know. It, and, and I think that's it's such a critical thing that, um, you know, I took it from the way you guys do it and, and did it at Ohio State, but also the Alabama model where, um, mm-hmm. you know, you don't want to have a room full of exceptions. And right. there, there is a place for every type of athlete, not mm-hmm. saying that, but that's going to be the first thing that we look at at the end of the day. And for, for a place like Rice, like we, we've signed, you know, five, eight, five, nine DBs because athletically, if they're special enough, they can play in our conference. Now, yes. is that the case at an Ohio state? No, it's not. And that's what you have to understand is that once you get into those categories of, okay, he's not quite, um, the height or the weight or the speed right now, you've got to have some redeeming quality or something special, exactly. something spectacular that overcompensates for that. Because at the end of the day, we have to continue to build the, each room to be the best possible room as mm-hmm. possible. Um, we have um, this past class, we took Marcellus Moore, right? Yeah. This kid is five, six, right? He might look at you and lie and say he's five, eight. He's five six, maybe five seven on a good day. He is right now. If I was to text uh, text him, he'd probably be like, "Yo, coach, I'm like one one seventy eight right now." He's probably one sixty five, right? Yeah, soaking wet, right? We took him as a wide receiver, but his intangible, his special quality, he was literally the fastest kid in the country. This kid ran a 10, 300 meter as a junior. Yeah. You know what I mean? So like, to me, that's like, how much value can that add to a room? We're not even talking like as a 
wide receiver, right? Let's think about special teams. You put them on the edge to go block a, a, a field goal, you can put them on that edge. You say, you hey, we're going to put them on the edge to go block a punt or returning or whatever. We're not talking just like, okay, catch and, you know, be, you know, the guy that spells, you know, Rondell Moore. But this kid has legit speed. And so that's why we took him, not because, oh, you know, he had some sort of redeeming quality that the room did not have. Yeah. And, and I think that's such a huge point too. And um, a guy that I, I worked with a lot before I got into, into recruiting uh, is Eric Galco. He was the director of player personnel at the XFL. And, and we, we worked together when he was running Optimum Scouting. And he always looks at there's protectors and there's creators. So defenders, protectors are obviously offensive linemen, you know, those types of positions, whereas creators are your skill guys. And mm-hmm. when you're watching an offensive lineman and say he has 60 good plays, but he's got five just terrible pass sets where just got his quarterback killed three, you know, forced fumbles. That, I mean, those plays are going to be weighted more heavily at the end of the day at that position. At mm-hmm. receiver, you could be average as hell for 50 plays, but if you make five explosives and go for 200 all-purpose yards, you're dynamic. And it's a yeah. matter of fitting the system, right? So, I mean, with us, we took a kid who, Andrew Mason, scored eight touchdowns in one game. He's 5'10", 155 on a good day. Mm. Like, if he shows up and he's 165, that would be great for year one. But at the end of the day, we know that he is an elite vertical weapon type of receiver that's just long enough to play on the outside but really have a role in our offense as a slot. Learn from a senior in Austin Trammell, who's our leading receiver returning, and be ready by year two. And I think that's what – I think it's hard for recruits to think of it in terms of that, but when you're going through your process and you're upset, like that somebody isn't recruiting you or that you're not getting the offers, like watch the film of the team that you want to get recruited by and see how you stack up to those guys, height, weight, speed, physicality, see what they look like in high school, watch their the huddle film. Like I probably spent more time on huddle and recruit co during the NFL draft than I ever have just going back and rewatching guys that, you know, you watch them on ESPN, you're like, damn, like, Mekhi Beckett's huge. Like, what did he look like coming out of high school? Oh, he was 400 pounds and lost 30 pounds, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I do that at the combine. So when I go to the combine, like, say, for instance, what, last year's combine, there was a kid who was at the combine who was a defensive end, right? And he came from some small school. I think it was, like, um, could have been Eastern Michigan. And I'm like, yo, like, how did he get to Eastern Michigan? You know, he played quarterback in high school. You know, and it's like, oh, okay. And then over the course of his, you know, three years or whatever, he was developed very well. You know, so to me, it's it's some of it is a is a gamble. I mean, let's be real. Most of it is a gamble. Yes. You know, because you're um, dealing because you're dealing with 15, 16, 17 year olds that are still maturing, that are still filling out their bodies. Mm-hmm. And that's that's what uh experience that's where experience really comes into play when you can see a quarterback and you're like he ain't a quarterback but that dude is going to be 245 pounds and he moves really well he's got ball skills he's smart maybe he's a tight end you know that's what what cam allen was like he played quarterback in high school and he was not he wasn't a quarterback we knew that he knew that we recruited him as a safety the kid started as a true freshman at safety you know, had a pick against Northwestern. Um, but those are the, like, 
a lot of it is is kind of yeah, stars and all that good stuff, right? People look at that and they'd be like, oh yeah, stars. Especially right now during the coronavirus, this is the year where a lot of teams are gonna come up because kids can't go to rivals. They can't go to, you know, um, the Nike elite camps or whatever. So there's gonna be some two stars out there that's gonna get drafted on day one. You know, yeah. they're gonna be some two stars that's gonna start when they get to college day one. It's because they didn't have the opportunity to get seen, to get the offers, to move up. And, you know, I think the, the part of it right now is like for the kids who, who might listen and tune in, like, y'all just got to keep working. Yeah. You know, like, because right now it's a terrible year, but also college scouting departments, personnel departments, y'all got to keep working. Like, because you better go look at that, you know, that two star, no star kid that's 6'2 and weigh 180 pounds at corner because he might be that diamond in the rough that's going to help you out. And this is the year where you can actually sneak one out on somebody. There's, there's no doubt you have way more time to uncover those gems. Oh my God. The gems are out there and they're yes. buried so deep. You just got to like, listen to your people, man. Listen to the, to the network around you and not get so star crazy, man. Like this is the year for Purdue. We aren't going star crazy this year. You know, yeah, there are good players out there, but like, I think, and a lot of our coaches think that like, we have to, um, make sure our profile is right. And we got to make sure that the kid is a right fit. Yeah. You know, it has to be the right fit in, in everything because the, the culture here has changed so much, man. It, it's becoming more of a brotherhood and, and about each other rather than being about oneself. Going from a format standpoint, obviously mm -hmm. you have to meet the profile from a height, yep. weight, speed. You, you, you need the... You can't take too many exceptions and no, you have you to can't. have a redeeming quality if you do fall into those categories. But just on our end, as far as how we've kind of adapted and decided to do things, the first step is makeup. What type of person is he? Um, that's mm. universal. You, you take the same approach, the same questions that fit our program, fit it to your program, but you better be asking those same questions to the high school coach, counselor, people that you come into contact that know the kid because you got to figure out if he's the right type of person first. Mm -hmm. Then you get into the critical factors. That kind of ties into the profile, height, weight, speed, play strength, competitiveness, toughness, athleticism. Like those are the things that right off the top, those two things, what type of athlete, competitor, and what type of person, you better be evaluating that at yep. every single position. But there's position specifics, right? Like Correct. There are different offensive schemes, different defensive schemes, like when I was at, at Houston working with Todd Orlando and Mark D'Onofrio, they, they both ran the same 3-4 defense. Finding a 5-tech at a group of five school is really hard. Like, <laughs> at the end of the day, you're looking for a specific profile, but sometimes Gerard Carter, who's like 6-1 and 3 quarters, 6-2 on a good day, is able to play that at that level. So mm -hmm. um, you also have to be aware of what plays in your conference, what wins at your conference, and what's obviously on the market. So as far as your approach at Purdue and, and spending a, a significant amount of time learning the Big Ten, how has that really helped you, one, to step into the role at Purdue? But two, how do you guys approach it? How, how have you adapted from the, quote unquote, the, the Pantone handbook? I wouldn't even say like, you know, adapted. I kind of use the same play. It's like, it's like when a coach changes schools, does he throw out his old playbook? No, he uses the exact same playbook. Yeah. He may call it different. So if someone else 
who's uh, who is his opponent now doesn't know that that's what he's doing. But I kind of use the same uh, exact format when I break down film or looking for every, everything for me is the exact same. I think it's, and I say the exact same, it's my twist to it and how I do it. But the core of it all is the exact same. You know, how I evaluate safeties and what I look for, you know, it's the same, you know, competitor, insert player, tackling, um, ball skills, awareness, all those things for safety, great communicator. You've got to be a great communicator at safety. Um, so none of that really changes. Um, it, it's, it's just kind of like your own, like spin to it a little bit, you know, like if I'm, if I'm understanding the, the question correctly, like what are some of the attributes? That's what you're asking. Yeah. Yeah. So do you want me to go by position by position? You, you can go, if you want to go linebacker, I know you coach linebacker for mm -hmm. the, the two spots you had, just, just take linebacker for instance. Okay, so for linebacker, first thing, all right, so we already talked about profile, right? So in my eyes, if you are 6'1 to 6'4, now we talking, right? Um, coming out of high school. Now, if you want to talk weight for them, it'll be, you know, 190 all the way up to 230 because everything is a projection, right? And this stuff is happening earlier and earlier nowadays, right? So people are being recruited as sophomores. And when I say recruited, not necessarily like NCAA phone call, text recruiting, but like on radars as sophomores already. So you got to be able to project what a, a kid can potentially be. So do, do they have the frame to have 230 pounds? Um, what are they looking like as far as the height wise? How many more inches you think they can get out of them? And then we're talking about, you know, his, his play on tape. We already got past character. We got past grades, right? So we already know that, you know what, he is a 2'6" you know, and we're going to try to make sure that we keep them in that range if that's his learning capacity, right? So some people aren't 3.0s and that's fine because you could be a, a 2.5 GPA, but you could be a 4.0 student when you talk football and you could talk circles around people. You could be kind of like, you know, just a savant, I guess you could say, when it comes to that specific thing. So you can't really judge somebody too much by like for Rice and Purdue, like, yes, you kind of got to judge, you know what I mean? Because you got to get into school. Yeah. But from a football standpoint, just because, just because you're smart doesn't mean you're football. Smart. That doesn't make you a great. Yeah, exactly. I, I look at that. There's three buckets. There's overall IQ, right? Like yeah. classroom smarts, there's street smarts, which is common sense. And there's football intelligence and football smarts for some people. Exactly. It comes natural to them, but like, those are three separate things that these coaches are going to like evaluate and take note of when they, and that comes from texting conversations, from phone calls, when you're on campus. Like if, if I'm talking about the draft and I throw out a name, I don't know, Isaiah Simmons, and they don't know who, who in the world that is, I got a red flag. Like if you've been living under a rock, but keep going, keep going. I, I didn't mean to cut you off. No, 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 no. You're, you're good because like that, that's, that's the key. It's, it's, it's like how many smart people can't play chess? A ton. It's a ton of smart people, very smart four-point students that don't know how to play chess. And there are a ton of people who aren't very bright or who may not have the, you know, 4.0 GPA or whatever, who may have a 2-3, right? But they're very good chess players. I haven't met one of those, but I'm assuming that they're out there. You know what I mean? <laughs> That's <laughs> why I do the homework. It, it, that's why I do the homework. 
But and I think that's why it's incredibly important for coaches to do their own communication. You know what I mean? Like, and this is this portion of it is going to be very unpopular for a position coach. I think that it's absolute crazy for a personnel guy or a recruiting guy to sit here, grab your phone, text for you. I get the head coach, right? Like the head coach is totally different. But a, a guy who get paid a quarter million dollars, half a mil, whatever, for someone else to build a relationship for you and learn everything about the kid and you as the position coach or area coach know minimum on the kid or you get it from a secondhand source. Yep. To me, that's cheating the kid and it's cheating yourself. You need to have that rapport before you step into a building to Absolutely. know that that guy's got your back because how can I rip someone a new one if they don't know I have their best interest in mind? And like, that's, that's just so critical. It goes back to what you were talking about, about you, you have to be authentic and you have to connect. Exactly. Um, next question. And, and after I ask this one, we'll, we'll jump into two real quick ones that were sent in by listeners of the show. Obviously COVID has taken away the spring eval period and mm-hmm. a lot of camps and that's, it is what it is, right? We are all living in the same pandemic and it's about yep. coming out on the other side on top. 2021 guys, for the most part, people know where they're going. The people know what type of level of athlete they are and what type of offers they have going. I think what what hurts for the 21 class are guys that are coming up uh, either didn't have a full junior season or they're going to be a senior starter. You know, your senior film is going to be really important. So just right off the top, like guys, like as soon as you get those first three games in, assuming we do play season and mm-hmm. obviously we're all praying for that. Uh, you better be making sure that you make a three-game clip and you send that to every school that has been in contact with you. Don't waste your time on schools that aren't communicating with you. It kind of goes back to what the last episode we talked about, like show love to the people that show you love. But mm-hmm. you mentioned how you know the, the game has processed so quickly to where sophomores are on everybody's radar. And, Everybody. and, and normally the spring allows you to kind of figure out, okay, this guy fits us. You know, the coach said he's an academic kid. Uh, okay, I need to get him to my camp. We get him to camp and we kind of take the best kids from camp and the best guys off of, you know, sophomore film. And that becomes you know, September 1st, blasting out a million texts to a million kids at midnight. That will still exist, but without the opportunities to see these kids live, which hurts these guys. So from a timeline standpoint, can you talk us through if you had some advice for a 2022 kid coming into his junior year, how does he need to approach this upcoming fall and and really getting his recruitment started on the right note? Um, I think that a kid who's a 2022 going into, you know, your junior year, right? You got to automatically have your list kind of already trimmed of where you want to go on your bye week for games or whatever. You got to have that already mapped out and say, hey, you know what, if this thing, if we're blessed enough to have a season this year and on Saturdays, this is where I'm going. I'm going to this location, this location, this location. These are the goals that I want to accomplish once I reach those locations. I want to be able to connect with the uh, my area coach. I want to be able to connect with my position coach. And mind you, these are games. So coaches don't have 30 minutes to to talk to people like that. But like being able just to connect to, hey, coach, you know, um, 
uh, I can't wait to, to see you guys out there playing and warm up and really just taking it all into consideration, looking at how the tight ends coach is actually coaching the tight ends during that little process, watching a game, watching how the coach interacts on the sideline. Like it can't just be entertainment, right? Like, like, like 2022s, like y'all got to start in 2021s too. You, you can't watch the game like a fan. You're not a fan at this point. You love the game. Yes. But this is a business decision for you. So you have to look and say, hey, you know what? Do I want to chase my hopes, dreams, and goals with this tight ends coach over here? Like, do I like how he cussed the kid out on the sideline when he dropped the pass? Do I like how he motivated him and put his arm around him and told him it's going to be okay, you got the next one? Like, these are all, like, things that should be a part of the – because just like we're trying to figure out if you're a right fit for us, you got to figure out are we a right fit for you? And part of that is being more in-depth in everything that you do. So pick out the schools that you want to go to. Number one, you got to say, show love to who showed you love, right? Like, if Bama's showing you love, like that, like on some real, like if Bama's showing you love, then you need to take yourself to Bama for a game, right? Yeah. And if Bama ain't showing you love, why in the Sam hell would you go to Bama for a game? You just wasted something. You know, like if Rice is showing you love, and Purdue isn't, maybe you shouldn't take a trip to Purdue. Maybe you need to go to Rice. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like if Purdue's showing you love and Clemson isn't, why would you go to a Clemson game? You know, you need to go to a Purdue game. So for me, it, it boils back to, you know, show love who you show love, but also being an in-depth thinker once you get to campus. Like, don't be a fanboy. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. how would yeah, I Yeah, don't, don't, don't focus so much on the social media side of things and pubbing, oh God, out, pubbing no. out your visit. Like, you are wasting an opportunity to that's that's your spring evaluation period you know yes you're yes. you are evaluating that staff and their ability to coach you that's the thing that i i hate for the 21 class is that they don't get a chance to go no. to camps and go through the competitive side of things because you know even though a kid may be committed or offered nine times out of ten they're still going to compete at camp whether or not they run yes. or not remain yes is debatable but you get a chance to have that coach work with you one-on-one. So like, like Aaron said, you absolutely have to use this time to watch how coaches coach questions from our listeners. Before we finish, what is the hardest position to evaluate? The, the, the listener said, I've read offensive tackles, cornerbacks and defensive tackles. What do you think and why? Wow. It's a great one. Um, I honest to God, I don't think the offensive line for me, everybody's different. So everybody got their like their stick, right? So for me, offensive line is not something that's incredibly hard or difficult for me to evaluate. So um, some people, it may be for O-line coach, it may not be, you know what I mean? Like that's, that's what he do. Um, for me, I'd say I haven't had really like, to be honest, over the course of my, my, my life or whatever, I haven't had really great success at tight end. You know what I mean? And it's not because it's, it's just different for me. You know what I mean? I grew up, I'm a linebacker, a former linebacker coach, former corner, you know what I mean? So for me, defense has always been kind of easy for me to, to evaluate and, and watch because we used to spend so much time like putting in game plans and scouting and all that good stuff. But tight end has always been something that was – hard frankly you know what I mean um, yeah. I haven't hit on anybody you know what I mean 
like, yeah, Bryson Hopkins, who was up for the Mackey, I didn't, I didn't evaluate or recruit Bryson. You know what I mean? I would agree with so, you that the tight end is one of the most hard, most difficult because yeah. if the kid matches the first step, the profile, and he has mm-hmm. some semblance of production, the whole country is going to recruit this guy. It's all over. And the all whole country is going to – because there's not that many teams now that use tight ends like they had in the past one. But you just – it's hard to find a 6'4", 235 guy that's a senior in high school who's catching 60 balls, right? So yeah. the, the thing that's that makes it difficult is you ask that position to do so many different things in the run game, in the pass game, as a receiver, as a blocker, that, like, they're not going to do all of that on their high school tape. And you, there is a major projection component. So I, I wrote that down. Tight end was one of them, but I put offensive tackle. Like I can evaluate offensive linemen pretty, pretty well. The core is easy, right? Cause you're either moving people, you're playing with your full foot in the ground, you know, hips, you know, twitch, pop, moving people off the line. Yes. But tackle is so hard because it's the same way as tight ends. If you got the profile, everybody's going to offer you. So, mm-hmm. um, when you see guys like, uh, you know, Clay Servin, our, our starting left tackle, I, I was evaluating him at Houston. I liked his feet and his athleticism, but he was like 230-something pounds as a yep. junior. And for him now, he's 300 pounds, like in a full, you know, four years from his junior year, like he is mm-hmm. a 300-pounder. So you can't project that out. Like that's, that's the most difficult part is projecting the maturation of these guys, the body types. But – at the end of the day, like it, I think it comes down to really two things, like the competitiveness, the toughness and the makeup mm-hmm. and do they have the frame? So it's, it's right. kind of the, the, the combination frame. of those two things, yep. because it doesn't matter if you have the frame, you don't have the work ethic to put the weight on. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Cause you could say me, like, I can develop this guy into this, but yeah, you cannot develop. Somebody is not, doesn't have an upside if they don't have the mindset to improve the mindset mm-hmm. to develop. Um, I- I think the one thing with with offensive linemen that I I really look for um, is say for for tackle, right? For offensive tackle. If you have the height, you have the frame to put on the weight. But if you play basketball, (laughs) if you play basketball as offensive tackle and you you automatically win for me, you know, because number one, if you're out there, you're playing basketball, you're competing, you're scoring, you're passing, you're showing athleticism at that height, at that size. And then also you said, hey, you know what? Like the feet are probably the most the ability to bend, which if you're playing basketball, you can definitely do that, right? Um, and if you have the feet, if you can guard, rebound, dunk, you know what I mean? To me, those are, those are things that I love to look for in tackles. So for me, like tackle isn't, isn't that hard. I kind of know one when I see one. It's so hard. It's, Next, next couple of questions. What ability do you feel is most overrated by coaches? And what ability do you feel is most undervalued by coaches in college football? Ability, overrated and undervalued. I think that the ability that's overrated. Mm. The thing that sticks out to me is time speed especially oh. with underclassmen because Justin Jefferson, if you pull up his Nike yeah. from his yeah. junior year, 
ran a two four star seven, every ran a four seven plus. I don't even remember what exactly it was. It was like a four seven nine. Now nobody was denying his like his film was good, but yeah. we didn't offer him at Houston because he ran a four seven plus. Now mm -hmm. am I kicking myself? You know, watching him at the draft, you know, go first round. Like not necessarily because I mean, who's to say we would have beat out LSU at the end of the day, anyways? But yeah. the fact of the matter is, like game speed becomes so crucial. And can you evaluate that? And are you able to understand what else is on the field? Because sure, he'll look really fast if he's playing Chucky's, but sure. if he's playing really good competition, like Justin Jefferson was in Louisiana, and he's running by him, there's something to be said about that. So. Um, Obviously, you want to keep the profile and you don't want to make exceptions, but understand that some verified times you need to make sure where you're getting those verified numbers from. True. Like I, I wouldn't say um, time speed because you can put anybody in front of me that runs a four seven. I'm gonna tell you, hell no. You know what I mean? Like yeah. I'm, I'm still gonna watch the tape. I'm still gonna whatever. But if it's a four seven, like that's not gonna sway me at all. Like you could have now if you're a four six, right? If you say four six, I can take a four six. You know what I mean? If we hand time it and you're a four six, I'm good with that. A four seven for a wide receiver, that just puts it in the uh, you know, kind of situation for me. Um, I think probably the for me, underrated, the most um like the most overrated would be player competition who you're yeah. competing against yeah i think i think i think to me that is the most you know overrated like you know he's not playing anybody okay like but he's doing what you're supposed to be doing on film when you're not playing anybody you're we racking said, up numbers you're, 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 you're treating chuckies like chuckies there you go you know what i mean like and that's to me that's that's the most um that's the most overrated aspect of it you can't help where you live. You can't help, you know, who with the team, you just set the schedule, you know what I mean? So for me, it's like, you gotta play against who you play against. But when you play against them, do you come out with a dog mentality? Now, if you playing against Chuckies, you better be on both sides of the ball and special teams. Yes. You better not be on there like, okay, you know what, I'm just gonna be running back. Like, like nah, bro, you need to be abusing the hell out of the opposition. You know, so for me, that's the most overrated, you know, the the most underrated, mm, the most underrated on film. Damn. The, the thing that, that sticks out to me, I, I put down two things, intelligence, mm -hmm. like, I, I think you can't, can't win with dumb football players. True. It's really hard, but two-way starters guys that are playing on both sides of the oh, ball yeah. and special teams because that Absolutely. shows me your passion for the game and your competitiveness and your toughness and the things that you really don't have a way of measuring until you watch the game film yeah i think i, th I think that the most underrated is how you treat people around you mm. You know, like, say, for instance, like, we're not talking about game film and all, all that, right? We're talking about when you walk into a school, if the janitor loves you, you know, 
I think that's one of the most underrated qualities in general, not just recruits, but in people, you know, like how high of yourself do you think you are? You know, how humble are you? You know what I mean? Your ability to handle business and everyone appreciate the work that you've done and that you put in, you know, um, respect, like, you know, those type of things, like people think in order to be a badass on the football field, you got to be a, a badass everywhere. It's not the case. So I think I think that's probably for me one of the most um, overrated, you know, abilities or qualities or whatever. You know, um, I think that people, you know, your ability to just be a good person. I think that goes a long way because from the tree that I've come from, like gold standard was everything. You had to be a gold guy in everything that you did in a classroom. You had to be a gold guy on the field. You had to be a gold guy in a weight room, nutrition, you know, equipment, everything that you did, you had to be a good person when you did it, you know. Gold and, is in uh, no, no study hall hours. Uh, yeah, no, no gold checks. is in no, I know, yeah, I, no, I know, yeah. I know. You know what I mean? So everything, everything. Just so, so, just, just, so, just so everyone listening knows, like when you get to college, uh, same is, Equal is not fair. Nope. You earn the amount of respect that you show the staff and you yeah. earn your freedom and your responsibility. Yeah. And it's a meritocracy. When it's a meritocracy. You earn it every single day. And yeah. the habits that you're forming right now are the habits that are going to help you at the next level or hurt you until you learn right. to build the right habits. Um, and that's the problem why a lot of people go to the NFL and they flunk out or you know and you know like just certain things you you went in and guess what you decided that one day you're going to take the time off or you decided that you arrived or you know every single day like you go to drew Brees every single day wakes up and he go earns it yeah. you know michael thomas obviously gets up every day and go earn it you know there's the people who gets up and hey you know what not today not today you know, so every day in college, man, you got to start building those habits right now. In high school, you got to build those habits. Every day, you got to earn it. You can't take days off and say, you know, well, today I'm going to go hang out with this person that probably is uh, undesirable. You know, maybe he's into certain things I shouldn't be into, but you know what? I'm just bored and it's quarantine time. You know what I mean? Whatever yep. the case is, every day you got to, you know, make sure that you're doing things the right way. And that's that's kind of like the most undervalued quality is you know doing things the right way character guys so character guys man closing closing statements give me one piece of advice for recruits going through the process you know patience you know even even the good books say you know patience is virtue and things may not always happen how you want it when you want it you know but you have to keep working towards it you know so be patient but while you're being patient don't slack off on the working you know what i mean like you can believe that you're gonna be a d1 player all you want but if you ain't working for it faith without works is dead you know so you got to keep moving and progressing over a period of time until you reach that level of success and people always you know say how do you become successful what's what does success look like all that other good stuff right and they say, you know what, what's the formula for success? And then people have this whole long spill. But the formula for success is actually a formula. 
is W equals F times S, right? It's work. That's the formula for work. W equals force over an amount of time or distance, which is the S. So keep putting, applying force to whatever it is that you're doing over a period of time that equals work and that equals success. So whatever success look like to you, whether it's playing NAIA, D3, D2, D1, D1, FCS, whatever, like you just have to show up every day and you gotta work. What do you tell parents? Parents, be involved in a kid's recruiting process, but you have to understand that there's a fine balance to being involved. I'm not here to tell anybody what that fine balance is. You know, I, I, I don't, I don't know, but you can't be not involved, but you can't be too involved. <laughs> you just have to find out what works best, you know, for, for you and your family. Um, get to know the coaches. I think parents, the, the really good parents, they are very great at um, advising their kids on who not to talk to of what doesn't feel right. You know, um, the really good parents are always, they're very, very good at advising their kids on it doesn't feel right. And kids, like, listen to your folks because, like I said earlier, they've been your age before. They've seen more life than you have. So just, you know, take it into consideration. At the end of the day, you got to choose where you want to be in your life is your life, but also listen, you know, that'll be, you know, to parents. And, and high school coaches of these kids? High school coaches. You have to be involved because parents don't know everything that high school coaches know. You know, and the kid doesn't know everything that a high school coach know. Um, you, the, the, the really good high school coaches that I've been around, like they inform coaches of what's going on in their kids' process. They communicate well with the coaches. Um, and they have just like a, a, a good vibe because they truly don't care like where the kid goes as long as the kid is happy. They care about the kid's happiness and their ability to be successful. And I think to me, those are like some of the best high school coaches around. Some, some of the worst high school coaches I've been around and, and there are some bad high school coaches. Like they, they push their kids to, you know, a particular school because it's their alma mater, right? Like those, and, and those are all over, right? Oh, you know, I'm a, and I get, you know, being faithful to your alma mater, right? But if their alma mater isn't right for the kid and the coach knows it, you know, to, to me, it's like, that's not a good high school coach. And I probably won't recruit that school, like, again, after that happens once, you know, and I see it going on, then it's like, you know what, I'm, I'm sorry. Like, there's no point of me visiting your school, you know, because you're not going to do what's right for the kid. You're going to do what you think is right for, you know, your university or whatever. So for me, like, just do right by kids, man. If you do right by kids, man, like everything is going to work out, you know, just do right by the kid. And each kid is a different kind of kid. So you have to individualize the, the whole process for them. You can't uh, fit a square peg in a round hole. And exactly. It, it does it does us no good to bring in somebody that's not a fit or it's not the right mm -hmm. situation because I'm going to waste his eligibility. Uh, he's going to take a spot. He's going to wind up jumping the transfer portal. Like you, you don't want to go down that road and force no. a fit. You cannot force a fit. And I think it, again, like you got to be, you know, 
true to who you are and, and authentic. And if you do it that way, you do right by kids, you do right by your teams. Like, I think that'll just make the game better, but. That, that, that'll make the game better. But we will all, we personnel people, we will all appreciate it. Because at yeah. the end of the day, I don't care. Like somebody, I'm going to have 25 guys or however many scholarships I have in that class. Somebody is going to be wearing black and gold. So at the end of the day, I don't care. I would rather it be somebody that I like who fits. But at the end of the day, somebody's going to be in black and gold. So that, that's just how I think of it. Like, if they don't come here, it's, that's great. But we're going to find somebody who are Purdue men who want to come here, who's going to develop here. I would rather it be you because I think that you're that person. But if you go somewhere else, we still going to find our 25. Right. You know. Hey, man, I, I really, really appreciate you jumping on the show. We'll get, we're, Absolutely. Have to get you back on. Talk. Uh, we'll talk recruiting side of things, you know, the presentation and the connection side. Uh, but, but tell our listeners where they can follow you on Twitter and social. Um, so everything is my first and last name on all social media. So it's uh, Aaron Hodges. It's E-R-O-N-H-O-D-G-E-S. And it's one whole word, just type it in and, and yeah, so you got to excuse anything that you see or, or whatever. I, I, I'm myself. So like, I don't, I don't try to be, you know, I have a master's degree, but I don't like try to speak the King English when I talk. I talk like I'm a South Sider from Chicago. So it is what it is. And, you know, if that's your vibe, then I'm your vibe. And if I'm not, at least you can understand that um, it's all out of love for kids. And this is why we do it, just because we love what we do and love the, the people and the kids in which we serve. And, don't ever forget that this is a service industry and your life will become enriched just by serving people. Serving people. And we are on for the journey. You know, like I, I tell kids, like oh, it's not, it's not about us making you into something special. Like you are a talented individual in more ways than just playing football. And like, all we want to do is be a part of it. And you yes. got to figure out who are the best people to put on my team and surround myself with. So again, Thank you all for listening and thank you for jumping on the show, Aaron. Um, look forward to linking up at some point whenever all this stuff goes away, but um, best of luck throughout this whole process. Okay. Thanks a lot, Alex. Appreciate you.